What's good? Welcome back, Love Letter listeners. I'm your host, Vanessa Pasmino. We have a very special grand premiere episode. It is very close to two hours long, but it is very worth it. I totally understand if you want to break it up in chunks. But, you know, when I get a pint of ice cream, I don't just stop at one bite. You know, I like to power through the whole thing and then, you know, have really bad IBS afterwards. This episode includes too much information moments, but, you know, get used to it. I am so excited to welcome our very first guest, host of their own podcast, Femme Ethnic and Angry. Aaron Cooper is a Brooklyn-based writer, director, producer, and filmographer. Aaron graduated from LIU Post and was a recent addition to the 2021 season of Saturday Night Live's film crew. Aaron happens to be a friend from high school. Affectionately known as Bear, Aaron is my brother's best friend. You'll hear Joe, my brother, throughout this episode a little bit more than you'll hear me, so we're just gonna say he's hosting. And it's perfect because most people know Joe as the host in our household, and they always have. And you'll hear a little bit more about that later on in this episode. It's so funny, but um, while I was in Roanoke for my birthday weekend a couple of weeks ago, a girl came up to me and she said, hey, wait a minute, are you Joe's sister? Of all the things that I can say about myself, that one is probably my favorite. Oh, there we go. Now I'm unmuted. And you can see Sterling behind me. Hi. Hello. It's first to see each other. Look at this. It's good well, to, I get see to see you all. Or are you guys going to just be hidden? Okay, cute. Oh, this light, this is not, this doesn't feel balanced. It's just like one very bright light in my face. I also feel like no one asked me to gaff my podcast interview. Hi. Long time no see. Oh my gosh, for real. I was like, sitting here and I was like, okay, I guess it's going to take Joe a minute to get home, but like, can we get the show started? I've already started drinking. Um, <laughs> get our wine. Hold on. You just cracked the bottle. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. If we're cracking bottles, give me a second because I am going to pour another drink. What are you all drinking? That wine. It's a oak leaf. Incredible. Um, you will not say that name in this house, even though we definitely have everything from there. Is it Oakleaf? Yeah. Or is it Walmart? Well, yes. <laughs> well, I didn't know what Walmart's liquor brand is because, you know, we don't have Walmarts up here. And oh, okay. Walmart doesn't have liquor. Nor can you, well, nor can you buy liquor at a Walmart, but also you can't buy wine at a, at a grocery store in Virginia, or not Virginia, in New York. You can only buy wine at liquor stores. That's true. The only thing, everything that you can buy for, it has to be like under like 10 or 12%. So you can buy wine, but it's like wine spritzers. It's like, it's like, it's like Mike's Hard in a big bottle. It's very much not wine. Largely <laughs> just sugary. But like in Washington, you can buy everything at a grocery store. Like you can walk into a QVC and you can literally buy groceries, a bottle of liquor, a bottle of wine, beer, 
I like go next door and then buy some weed and then go home. <laughs> which I've I've done. Which I fully have done in Washington. That's not even like a damn. How but, um, did you do that? Was it two times? How many what? Summers did you go to Washington? Um it was only two summers. It was summer twenty seventeen, summer twenty eighteen. Cause I flew out I no I no, I did fly the first time. I flew out there. First summer is when I AD'd. Second summer is when I, do- I drove with Joe. Yeah. Me, Joe, and Sterling, we drove to Seattle. And that was the second summer. I haven't been back since 2018. Um, but, you know, my schedule's open to whoever is around and maybe listening to this and might want to book me in Washington. Um, <laughs> I'm available. So, um, you digging it. Do you know what's going to come cool. up next this season? This has been a great interview. Bye, everyone. Um, sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> Do you know what we're uh, going to be expecting this season? I mean, as far as you are aware, you said you're available, but do you know what you might be doing this upcoming season? Are you as talking about for myself? or you, um, Yeah, for work in general. Um, For work in general? I don't know. Should I should I intro myself before I start talking about about work, or should I just go into it? I'm going to go into it if you let me. Go into it. Great. I mean... I mean, this is, for those of you who don't know, hi, I'm Aaron. Um, I don't know if they've said my name yet already, but they probably did. Um, I work in the film industry in New York. Um, I have been for the past two years now. Um, This year, as everyone can guess with COVID, has been weird. Because, like, last year was super empty, but I was still very fortunate to, like, work a lot last year. Um, I did some commercials. I did my first network show. Um... I did a lot of like solo shooting stuff and then this year is weird because everyone is like talking about there being a lot of work this year about a lot of work this summer um but after I'm also I'm a production assistant on SNL that's like my my like main gig right now so after we wrap with SNL in May I have nothing I have a short film that I'm ADing in June and then after that I'm literally just like waiting to fill my schedule so we'll see what comes i'm not super worried i like you know it's very much in the industry we talk about feast or famine what's so funny is when i had tests when i had got covid like now because now is at the end of my quarantine i was literally in the middle of a feast like i was working on i was supposed to be back at snl this week i was working on another feature film as a health and safety production assistant I was assistant directing a short film that's happening right now. Funny, we'll talk about it later, but like I was assistant directing a short. I was, I had like a couple of videos I was shooting with people and then it just like stopped. Like all of a sudden, like I was at work, my partner texted me and they were like, you've been exposed to COVID. And I literally left work and cleared my schedule for the end of the month. So, um, it's, it's, it was a very, like, night and day, like, like literally working every single day, 14 hours, to, like, not working. Like, like it, and it was so funny, because, like, it happened nearly to the day that lockdowns happened the first time around. Like, I think it was to the day that was, like, my last day at work last year, like, my survival job was, like, literally the exact same day. So, you know, cheers. <laughs> Fucking cheers. We love it. We've gotten this far, right? I, I, I don't know how far we get. 
<laughs> I don't know how much further we can go. We've gotten this far, but I don't know. I'm at, as you can clearly see, I'm like, out in space over here. Yeah. So that that's, I guess, what I'm finding is, what, what are the, what are we bringing into the century? What are we, what are the morals and the values that we hold within our country? Oh, not you guys cut out. I'm sorry. What? Oh no. You cut out a little bit. Okay. But I kind of kind of got weird. I mean, like, yeah, in terms of, like, like separate from, like, work, this has been a very, you know, not even personal, just, like, on a, on a grander sense. This has been a really weird time because, like, I guess so many people have been, like, talking about all these things, especially in the United States. Like, we, we have a very American view on this because we're all American. And so many people are talking about, you know, racism and, and sexism and homophobia, and they're like, oh, well, this isn't, it shouldn't be this way, this should be this way, it's broken, the system is broken. And I find that rhetoric so interesting, because, like, the system is not broken, the system is working exactly how the system was meant to work. Exactly. Um, actually, in a lot of ways, when, when Black people get voting rights, and when we, when we share hashtags and stop Asian hate, and we start talking about these conversations, that's actually when the system is breaking, because the system was not meant for um poc black solidarity the system was not meant for um queer trans visibility the system was not meant for other you know, people like well, this right this conversation the system was not made for this conversation of three people of color queer people of color having a conversation about about the world like it, so you know i think i think this past year is really like like, not to say that I've accepted it. I in no way want to say that I've accepted the world that we live in. But it has given a lot of perspective to the world that we live in. Yeah, honestly, because what I'm kind of turning around to is finding people are trying to, especially on the left, we're trying to figure out ways to change the system and to at least create different laws to, you know, help us move forward. But honestly, like like you just said, the system was created against all of what we we're trying to achieve. So I think... The, the left is <laughs> need to put support into the American system as it stands. I think we need to have not necessarily a constitutional convention, but like a reworking of like basically what profounding fathers did in the first place is basically how together what are our values, what are we trying to achieve, uh, what is the republic we want to keep for the next 200 some odd years because that's all it seems to last. What, I know that this is not the conversation of. I'm sorry, to cut you off. I mean to. Um, I know it's not necessarily the conversation of the podcast, but this is still very important. I find that like it's so. You know, we that whole conversation started coming up that like we have the oldest constitution, the oldest continued constitution on earth. We've had the same constitution literally since 1780. If someone corrects me in the comments of this podcast, we're fighting. But sometime between 1783 and 1789, we've had the oldest constitution that was that like has amendments in it because people knew it wasn't going to work. Like the language in that constitution was not meant to be like eternal egalitarian language. Like men in that context was like white land owning men period it was not everyone everyone was not meant to so you know i'm very pro new constitution um not because i think that if we write a new constitution like we're gonna burn down the u.s um your feelings everyone's individual feelings about that 
I just think, you know, we've had one document for so long. I don't think the founding fathers thought about what this constitution would do in 2021. I really think that they thought, oh, you guys haven't gotten a new one by now? Like, we wrote a second one. This constitution is literally our second government document, right? They they wrote the Articles of Confederation like, this is fucking stupid. This will never work. And they threw it out. And then they were like, they wrote the constitution because that's what they had at the time. They were still landowning white men. So like, they were going to put themselves first. But I just think that they would look at us now and be like, it's weird that you guys are <laughs> still have that first doc. Like, it's, like, it's weird, change it. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, because it's definitely dependent, I, I guess, less on facts, more or less, like what you would want to, not necessarily what you would want to see, but things out of history, like the, especially the rich, you know, uh, land-owning people who came to the Americas to officially, you know, take over the people who settled here first, the people who were kind of poor and only, you know, were skill, skill-enabled to like start, you know, building up the land and then they came over to basically start building the actual empire and that's yeah. I, I feel like they, they kind of figured well we can't see into the future so we'll only make our republic last about 250 years and in those years we will use we'll do whatever we can to try and influence the rest of the world into becoming quote-unquote civilized to adopting the western way to basically well, people's wants. see here's the problem Joe and I could do this all day, and I know this is not this podcast. I, I'm gonna have to stop because I swear we'll keep going. <laughs> we'll end up talking about about the Constitution, and we'll end up talking about just like history. Which, in a weird way, it's fine because like Virginia is like the founding place. It's um, perfect. It's in a weird way perfect. Um, the Old Dominion. Because that's the whole thing. That's why I've been thinking about this. Because Virginia is the Old Dominion. It's not necessarily because of like you know god's domain and whatever but it's it's man's dominion over working people and over people that actually own the land versus the people who work in it well and you know i find this very interesting because i don't think that they did all of this with any sort of foresight right? right like i think that there was a level of like a foresight to like their generation and like the next generation and they're like okay whatever happens happens like we've done this thing i just don't think that they have that level of like you know in 1975 when god who was president in 75 was it was it um ford or was it carter it was somewhere between ford and i think it was ford still you know when gerald ford is president this is what america will be or like with, with how can we stop Donald Trump from happening? They may have kind of thought of that a little bit because they knew that someone, they knew that if the people okay. elected someone, they would elect someone stupid, which happened. Um, but even then, right? Like, even like, if you're talking about the Electoral College, the Electoral College, it exists to stop someone from Donald Trump from getting elected, and it didn't. So, you know, even the systems that they created to stop it from happening didn't work. Um, okay. Yeah, I also think it's interesting as people from Virginia, like, that we have such a weird, like, large wealth of historical knowledge, because it's not common everywhere else. People do not learn history in the same way that we do. They don't learn state history either, because I know we all have, like, have spent years in state history class. That's, like, not a thing. In New York, especially, it's not a thing. Kids don't take New York state history. Okay. I know you both look so. I was astonished too. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't really spend. 
any time in New York City history. They also don't spin a lot of, like, like just general things that we learn. I guess it's because, like, so much history, especially if you're talking pre-20th century, really centers Virginia, that it's almost inevitable that we have to learn our own history, right? Like, we have to learn... We, I, like, I guess for so long, like, like when we learn this history, it almost, like, inundates us in this, like, pro-American mindset, because we spend so much time talking about how important Virginia is to the American Revolution, and we spend so much time talking about the Civil War and, like, kind of glossing over the fact that, like, Virginia was the capital. They moved the capital to Richmond as soon as Virginia became part of the Confederacy. Like, we kind of gloss over that, that, like, really... We're gonna highlight this, but we're not gonna go over it in detail because it's better. Yeah, we kind of like, want to go into that. It's very that. It's very like we touch on it. Like we touched on slavery. We touched on, you know, meanwhile, how... really fucked up stories about slavery. We're like, oh, we're not really gonna tell you a whole lot about. We'll still tell you some kind of fucked up shit about it. I mean, like, right? It's like how many of us were told that whole adage of. um of states rights like this is a war of states rights mm-hmm. and it's like it's the states rights to own people right like when they all wrote their secession documents it was like their right to own people and i i feel like in virginia i think eventually you know i had some teachers um shout out to mr wow mr pearson or patterson mr patterson right pearson. pearson was history oh pearson not me forgetting his name on but you know what <laughs> He, everyone has a feeling about him. Everyone who went to, to our school has a feeling about him. But I feel like he was one of the first history, history teachers I had who was like, nah, this is the real shit. Like, this is the real shit of this country. Like, we were in Vietnam because we were assholes. Like, we were in Korea because we were assholes. <laughs> we were in, literally just insert war. And we were there because we were assholes. And like, I didn't have a teacher telling me that until then, until I was like 16, 17, so. Yeah, at the revelatory years too. That's great, Mr. Pearson's. I, I never had him, but he, I heard he was a great teacher. Anyway, but yes, def- definitely okay. have to learn Virginia history for the rest of. You it. like my segue? <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean it works. You know, current day education and what what can people learn from Virginia versus what can we learn about our own selves? You know. Okay. That's really isn't that isn't that the the the, the um the when you go on Spotify like that's the that's the that's the description of this podcast like what can we learn about Virginia that we learn about ourselves like that's this yeah, podcast that's exactly what, yeah because everybody who's been here has something some yeah honestly usually people have gone through something really messed up and they're, yes. they're like that was a profound moment in my life and honestly I hate Virginia. So, like, it's called Love Letters to Virginia, but there's a lot of hate mail that I have for it. Well, am I going to be your first guest to not be full of hate for Virginia? Oh my god, please. Um, how do you feel about this coming out yeah. on your birthday? Um, oh my god, this episode comes out on my birthday? Yeah. Which is also, birthday. for people who don't know, when is your birthday? My birthday is today. <laughs> well, it's not today. It's, it's, it's June 19th. Well, you know what's so funny? First of all, happy birthday to me and all my other Juneteenth babies. Um, if you don't know what Juneteenth is, Juneteenth was the day that um, that people in Texas were informed that slavery had ended. So it is seen as the official end of slavery in the United States. It's June 19, 1865. Um, and that the Civil War was over 
and that they had surrendered, which is super weird because I'm pretty sure Lincoln was totally dead by June 19th. Like the man who had been shot was in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, it was like the fact that it took an extra two months, like again, someone in the comments will talk about how like news didn't travel. I don't care. It still took a while. Like the yeah, this is super cool. I mean, I always it's so funny because my parents' anniversary from the date shooting was yesterday, was March 21st. And I always kind of make it about me because I know that my birthday is 90 days for my parents' anniversary. So I've already started my birthday count. <laughs> I've already started like, what am I doing? We're 89 days out. I have to start planning and prepping. I have no plans for this year. And I'm going to be listening to this in my apartment because I'm not doing anything for my birthday this year. I've already oh, decided. Well. I, I talked so much I forgot the question. It was my feeling on Virginia, right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> I feel like this whole episode is going to be Aaron rambling for an hour and a half. So, like, rein me in whatever. Um, I ramble, but it's it really is honestly, like, what did Virginia teach you? Great. Um, for those of you who don't know, I don't think a lot of people know this about me. My dad was in the Navy for when I was when I was growing up. So um, it's very common for my he left the Navy when I was like 10 or 11, I think I think I was like nine or 10 because um, it was right before 08, the 08 crash. So I was like nine. Um, it's very common for military kids to travel a lot and to like live in different places and like not be able to call any place home. But like right. we were very different. I lived in Virginia my entire life. I've My parents owned the same house since I was a kid. I've been in the same house since I was three. And when I was younger, I used to like really resent that because I knew all these kids who had been to like Germany and Japan and Hawaii, or Florida, Guam, Guam. Oh my God, everybody goes to Guam before they come to Virginia. It was, they were like, I just came from Guam, I just came from Hawaii. It was always very bad. <laughs> like, um, and there was like a couple of reasons why, one of them is because we have three kids and apparently it's really hard to transfer people when you have three kids. Like we fully, made, if we there were two of us, I would have lived in Hawaii. My dad told me this a few years ago because he got orders to Hawaii and couldn't take them because he had two kids. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So, um, but, you know, coming up, I used to just be ready to go. I used to be like, I'm ready to leave Virginia as soon as I can. And I really did. Like, the first opportunity I took to go to college out of state, I took it. I've left Virginia September 2015, and, like, I have not considered myself a Virginia resident since because um, I've lived in New York for like going on six years now. But I think living in New York is what taught me my love that I have for Virginia and like my hometown. And not just the people who are, not just you all and like my family and the people who still live there, but like the actual like town itself and like Virginia itself. It's such a beautiful and serene and almost like I've never described this, but like anytime I would come home from New York, like, and I went to school in Long Island. I didn't go to school in the city, but I live in the city now. Anytime I would come home from New York, it felt like everything slowed down and not in a like negative way, like it's too slow here, but in a like, you can like breathe. And maybe it's because it's my hometown, right? Maybe it's because like I'm home and like I feel those things. Or maybe because like it truly is a place where you can do that. Um. 
we're going to talk so much more about it. I don't want to give everything away the first 10 minutes because I know that we're going to go in. But yeah, I just like, I have this like, you know, if there was a film industry in Virginia, I might be living there right now, right? Like if there was a theater is where I started. So if there was a theater industry, I might be living there now. Also, the prices are so much lower. What are you saying? I said they get honored, Virginia. Yeah, I mean, like, Doug, they built a film industry. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, pretty good deals. You know, in different parts of Virginia, you can really get some some other boonies or there's some. Well, I mean, the price I the price that me and my partner pay for my bedroom is less than what my parents pay in their mortgage. Like we've talked about this, and we I didn't get into a fight with them about it, but I wanted to get into a fight with them about it. <laughs> like, like what? It's that low? Like why did I move here? And they were like, I don't know. Why did you move here? The sueños? I forgot because I haven't taken Spanish in so long. His dreams. Oh yeah, no, those died a long time ago. Yeah, really. Sueños son muertos. Anyway, and we're back. I have terrible dandruff right now. TMI, sorry, and we're back. No, sometimes the audience wants to know. Sometimes they like to know. Literally, it's just like. We just talk about like the Revolutionary War and like teachy hair teeth treatments. Like that's it. That's the whole show. Um, <laughs> like that's it. Like it's like dandruff and coos. That's it. Sponsored by dandruff. Sponsored by dandruff. Sponsored by militant coos. Are there any projects that you're looking to get running? Because I know that we were talking about you being in other shows, but I mean, are you trying to do anything? Huh? It's so. I, I will preface this with I decided to shoot a short, like a like a one person short with myself now that I'm in quarantine. So I shot it a couple of days. I shot part one a couple of days ago. I literally just I was about to record the audio today and I may still record it today, not too drunk after this call. Um and that's like a piece that like is not I don't want to say it's not a real piece because like it is, I'm making it and it, it's art. It was something that, like, it's just more of an exploratory and, like, just, like, some work I wanted to to do and talk about for a while. But in terms of, like, bigger piece, I haven't had, like, a big passion project in since, like, before COVID. Like, I feel like as soon as I, like, left school and moved, because I, I finished school in 2019. This is backstory for people who don't know me. I finished school in 2019, in May of 2019, and I moved... I can't even say I moved to the city because I was already living in New York. So I'd been living in New York for a year and just kind of left Long Island and just like was in New York. I was waiting tables and just like doing work that people hired me on. And it's really been like that since 2019. I mean, like I take jobs that people hire me on. I don't really work on my own projects, which is which is good. It has its good and its bad. The good, the good to it, which I, I feel like people are surprised they say it has its good. As it's good because things are not as precious to me as they were when I was in college because everything in college was like my work. It was like, this is the thing I'm writing or like, this is the thing I want to direct. Everything was very precious. So I was very afraid to make mistakes. Um, and I don't feel that as much right now. I'm not as afraid to make mistakes or like when I do make mistakes, not to be like, well, it's someone else's stuff, bye. But like, <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> like I could make some and a little bit and a little bit of that. Like I could make mistakes and like it doesn't feel as personal. Um and the financial aspect is really nice, A, because I'm not putting my own money in the projects people are paying me, which is like super 
writers and artists that we like get paid right like we do work and we get paid for it um but the the hard part of it is like it's i when i first started shooting last year i had gotten to this point by october november by November especially, and that's because, like, a bunch of things happened. I got defrauded from a job that never paid me. I actually got defrauded from two jobs that never paid me. I was so depressed. I was just like, I don't want to be behind the camera. It feels like work. And it is work. Like, it, it still is work. And it's work every day. But it's like, I don't want to be here. This feels like a job. It feels like I'm catering again. Um, because I didn't have that enjoyment. I didn't have that outlet. And I actually had a friend of mine who... She couldn't pay me, but she was a really good friend from school. And she was like, hey, I'm doing a short. Like, could you just like jump on it and like just shoot some coverage with me in the city? And that project like awoken something in me where I could like enjoy being behind the camera again. Where like I could pick up the camera and I'm like, I like what I'm doing. I like what I'm creating. It's fun again. Um, so all that to say, I don't have any projects that are for me right now that's not to say I'm, I'm against it but you know for the most part it's still just client work I'm hoping to do some like some more things like I'm doing now like this project and like small projects here or there um, and I actually just said all of that and I just remember that my friend and I just started talking about a feature <laughs> so <laughs> all that to say maybe I could be shooting my own feature next year fingers crossed um, but yeah Sorry that that was such a meandering answer. All of my answers will be meandering. Yeah, I mean, that's what answers are. I, I was I'm kind of curious because I've been finding this in myself, but have you found your process, your creative process? Have you learned how to uh, basically make more timely work of, of creating art? Because I, I feel like that's a critical element in a lot of projects is it's like your process and like putting it i mean i would say i'm very fortunate i could say i'm fortunate and i am fortunate that i was able to go to college like it's fortunate but like i also paid for it and am paying for it so like (laughs) fortunate but also like i i paid for it so i'm very fortunate that like i went to college and i had a pro i have a i went to a program that the program my choice is very specific the program and what i was taught i love now the professors and I are having a different conversation, as in I have not spoken to them in a year. <laughs> but the actual information itself, I I began building my artistic process while I was in school um, because of the tools that they gave us. And I've personally, my process in film is still very much rooted in theater. Because like what a lot of people don't know about film, especially when you get especially when you get to Union, it's 100% when you get to Union, but really in Indies as well, is it's it's very compartmentalized, right? Like, this is your grip and electric, or this is your gaffer. They handle the lights. You really don't see a sound guy touching the lights. This is your sound op. This is your boom op. You don't see a boom op touching a camera. This is your camera op in your first AC. You don't see a first AC, you know, you, and it's just kind of continual that way. Um, especially when you get on Union set, you know, you get to the whole, like, you literally can't. Like, if, if something falls, if, if a set falls, you can't catch it because, you know, you'll get sued or whatever. And there's that whole adage. But, um, you know, theater, especially the level of theater I was at, in, and the level of theater that, like, I would return to at this point in my career, um, 
because the level of theater I was at in my career and the level of film I'm in in my career are very different and like they're different for different reasons. Um, you know, it's a very do everything. It's very much like, you know, I'm a director, but I may also be like pulling costumes and, and you know, I might be running sound. Um, you know, I'm a stage manager, but for the show I have to, you know, run the light board and run the sound board. You know, I'm, you know, like my accompanist for one of the last shows I did, like my accompanist also wrote the show. So, you know, it's very blended. And I feel like in theater, and again, I was not working on Broadway houses. So like, I know that in Broadway houses, you know, your, your, your production stage manager is not going to call. It's not going to be on the light board. But I just, I just feel like that like crossover is a lot more present in theater. Right. And that's something I try and bring to my process in film. I remember the question now. That's something I bring to my process in film because, like, I, as a filmmaker, like, a lot of people always will tell me, like, oh my god, you're lighting. And that's because lighting is such a huge aspect of what I make. And, like, I would like it to be an aspect in what I continue to make. And not just, like, I'm going to throw a lot of shade to a lot of people. And, like, I'm going to get hate online for this. I am not just about turning on a purple and a pink light and pointing it at my subject and like being like we have light like it's it's a lot like what is this story like how does this light affect the story um how can i create something that is elevated not only above the people around me because like i'm not here to like to like be better than anyone i don't consider that i'm i will never consider myself the best um i just work really hard and i know what and i'm learning more about what i do well and what i don't do well Right. Something I do well is like making lighting a part of my story and like really emphasizing that. And I don't know if I would have that if I was a film person first, if I like didn't start my process in theater. I could maybe, but like because I started my process in theater, it gives me, especially as a theater director, because you learn when you train as a theater director, you were, you were very much taught that you have to have an understanding of every department. Like, no one could teach me how to direct, but the one thing they could teach me was you need to have an understanding of every department you work in, and that's something I've carried to film. I cannot speak for every director, can't speak for every DP. There's some people who don't carry that model, but like I do. So that is part of my process. I don't think I answered the question. Well, I mean, you, you gave it like at least a good overview, you know? Yeah, I kind of like circled and was above the question, hovered on it. <laughs> You're from Virginia Beach. I mean, it's like you were born on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> Just like constantly like rocking, like swaying back and forth. The... Meandering, going around the thing, coming back to the thing. Yeah, I guess that is a very like, I guess I'll wait till I get questions because I, I could take us on a, on a boat ride. That's like it all. <laughs> okay, well, that being said, sure. Well, I could just, like, keep the conversation going, but I also didn't want to, like, come on and, like, take over and be like, hey, it's me, I'm here, bitches. What what is the topic of the episode? I really did mean you. For everyone who's just listening, I just made a face, and I realized that you all would not know that I made a face because it's an audio (laughs) medium. But uh, actually, I, I do have a quick question. If you do decide to come back here anytime soon, what is one thing you would like to do when you get here? Oh, back? God. I have a list. I mean, I don't have one thing. I have a list of things I do every time I'm home. Um, 
I mean, the one thing that I'm very excited to do when I go home that, like, people who are not from Virginia Beach don't get is, like, going to the oceanfront until 1 o'clock in the morning. We do it all the time. Everyone does it. And, like, to everyone not from Virginia Beach, like, the oceanfront is not just, like, the ocean where the ocean meets the land. It's, like, there's board like oceanfront used to be like the most active place in virginia beach like before they built town center when we were all kids it was the only place things happened when we were in high school we would all be sitting at joe's house um and we were just like what do you guys want to do and we were just like let's go to the oceanfront and we get into the into like the sierra <laughs> and we all go to the oceanfront because that's like what we did and like it like even if we didn't do anything or didn't buy anything, we just walk. It, we just walked down the boardwalk. I miss that. I miss going to the boardwalk. So like that's first on my list. Um, if you are from Virginia, you know what Huddle House is. I have a list of restaurants I go to. No. I'm also out of. Oh my Did Huddle House close? Yeah. Well, the one that's over no, in um, Independence Princess said, Yeah. Wait, my mother just told me that place did not close. This is not okay. Well, Somebody better call the police. I, I went there a couple weeks ago and the lights were out and they said, you're free to I, it looks like I'm not coming back to Virginia. Fuck Virginia. <laughs> I'm just like, actually just kidding. You won't ever find me in Virginia again. No, I mean, Huddle House, that's so funny that I talk about like it's been there forever. It's literally a chain that opened. Oh yeah, they're closed, closed. Child is right on the website. Oh, yeah. It's right there on Google. Child, if Google said you closed, you closed. Um, for those of you who don't know Huddle House, it is like a themed, it's like a it's like a football themed restaurant that just did like really, really low price. It's like Denny's. And it didn't even appear until like we were seniors, right? Like Huddle House was not a thing while we were growing up. Yeah. So like, I don't know why, like, it was the it was a restaurant that popped up and I was like, this is my new favorite place. But it is. And it's gone. Yeah. So Huddle House is gone. I still make my way to um I can't remember the name of that place. Where you get the super cheap plates. plates you get up. like seven items for like three dollars. What what location? There's one by region. It's by region and there's one on, on um the one in Chesapeake. We used to drive forty minutes to go there. You know exactly the place I'm talking about. They have cheer wine. As soon as we cookout, yes, cookout. I still love cookout. When I was a vegetarian, I I ended my vegetarianness for cookout. I also ended it for Bojangles as well because this sounds so crazy, but like Bojangles is the spot. There's no Bojangles up north, as if people don't know this. There's no Bojangles once you leave Virginia, and like. Bojangles. I've, I've only been talking about corporate places in a minute, so like people hear this and think this dude is like just a corporate slut. Like this is a, a slut for capitalism. This is my last one, I swear. Wawa's. Wawa is the last place I will go to before I leave. But if we're talking about like... Oh my gosh, no, their enchiladas look pretty good. I mean like, there's a lot of things like we get at Wawa's. I mean, and it's because I'm a trash person. I get a sub from Wawa. Oh. Did you know? And they again, burgers. They serve burger. I get a burger from Wawa. And again, it's like you- when you have been to enough bodegas, when you have been to enough bodegas with, with the guy behind the counter not wearing a mask, a Wawa's the cleanest place on earth. 
Cleanest. No, the cleanest, but also the whitest. No, it's both. It is some simultaneously the cleanest and the whitest place on earth. People are gonna hear that and think like, oh, like you're a pro, but like because there's white people there. That's not what I was saying. Oh, it, it's, it's correlation and causation. I was like, correlation is not causation. They're definitely friendly for everybody, and they keep them clean. Well, you know it's so like even coming back to Virginia and Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach is such a diverse community. Like I don't think people realize that. I mean, my mom is from New York and she told me the first time she had met a Filipino person was in Virginia. Because it is like I don't want to be like it's a melting pot, but like it really is. Like there's a there's a really large cultural sense like like you can get authentic like like not just like oh this is a chain, but like you can look around the city and you can see so many different cultures and like their impact on the landscape um especially like latinx cultures and like and like asian asian american asian pacific islander cultures they are very prevalent in virginia and like and like as a kid you don't think about it like you don't think about like like oh if i was in another because like it's still middle america right it's not it's not New York, it's not Chicago, it's not LA, it's still Middle America. If I was in another part of Middle America, I could not get pho, right? I couldn't get a, a good bowl of pho. If I was in, you know, Utah, I couldn't get, you know, you know, real Latinx food. I couldn't get a real Colombian dish. I couldn't get a real Peruvian dish. And I haven't been to Virginia in a minute, but you could still probably find a Colombian restaurant and then Peruvian restaurant and then, you know, a Honduran restaurant and not just an all-in-one, you know, Taco Del Burrito Grande Supreme restaurant. Like, you, like there's actual, like, cultural restaurants there. And that's not a space, that's not something you find in a city that small. And not even just, like, to, I also don't want people to think I'm minimizing culture super. Like, like we, I started talking about places and food, getting there. I was thinking, when you were saying that David Chang is from Northern Virginia, and he was talking about pizza in the first episode of Ugly Delicious. And they're going to all these great places, and he's talking about how in Northern Virginia, the place that you get pizza mainly is like Domino's, and it's his comfort. Yeah. I know I have a pizza spot in Virginia that I, as someone who's living in New York, that's like my mom, I was like, I'll still go back to Bella's. Like, I'll go to Bella's tomorrow. Waiting for that. Because you know what, I can still get I can still get two drinks in a slice for five dollars at Bella's. I can't do that anywhere else. I don't think I could do that in New York anymore unless I'm at two bros. But like, I can get two slices of drink at Bella's for five bucks to this day, um, and not feel like it's trash food. And like, just like you, you hear like not to not to summarize any group of ethnic people it's just food right like you see us you see people you hear them speak their native languages in the street and like coming to new york i know that that's something a lot of people are like like oh shit like people are just like speaking french and then i walk down the street and there are people speaking farsi and i walk down another street and there's people speaking mandarin and like that's not crazy in virginia it's not crazy to like hear families speaking their native languages. It doesn't, whether it be you know Spanish or whether it be like another language. It just it's it's not crazy. I mean, like our high school was one of the most diverse high schools in the city, which probably makes it one of the most diverse high schools in the country. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, 
like people don't people want to say New York is diverse, but New York is very segregated also. Like it is New York City is still the most segregated city in the country. Um and Virginia's not. It's just not. Like I have worked in in so many different places now at this point. But with so many people that will, you know, be able to that are bilingual. And I am trying so hard to learn how to speak Spanish and trying so hard is kind of a loose term. <laughs> like I'm trying to learn it, but like I'm on Duolingo, so you know. Yeah. That owl is very sad. Yeah. The Duolingo owl is like, hey, are you gonna come back and visit? Are you gonna like, like, study? And you're like, this feels aggressive. <laughs> this feels like this is none of your business. Actually, Duolingo owl. <laughs> How about you mind your fucking business? How about you learn Spanish, huh? Este habla español, Duolingo owl. Este habla español. No, that's why I thought. <laughs> like I speak 36 languages. Not even... <laughs> I am. That the Duolingo owl is literally trapolingual. <laughs> I don't know the proper for 36. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what that what that question was. But I just started riffing. Well, you know, it's fun. Virginia isn't really segregated. I'd be like, it, it's not like racially, but it is definitely very well. Economically, yes, yeah, it is still very much economically. Well, there's still a lot of well, roads, like old bread, like And you know what? I take I say all of that with a grain of salt of like Virginia Beach is its own bubble and it has been i mean i guess it may be changing now but it has been its own bubble for the longest time right like people who are not super into local news and aren't into transportation don't know that the reason the tide does not go from norfolk to all the way to the ocean front is because of racism and, and classism right like they didn't want poor black people coming from norfolk through virginia beach to the beach like that is why they that's why they didn't finish the tide um you know that is in virginia beach is even for its for its racial diversity, even for you know for its economics, like it's still you know the, we used to joke. We all used to joke. Remember when we were in school and we just talked shit about Norfolk, we talked shit about Hampton, we talked shit about Newport News because they were poor and they were in Virginia Beach and Virginia Beach is nice. And it's like, well, you gotta remember why they have less money, and it's not because people like Virginia Beach better. <laughs> it's because of racism right like even if we are like even if i'm protected by it because like i grew up in virginia beach and like i get to live in a nicer zip code like it's still nicer because of racism but that's how it got this way like so actually just like omit everything i just said about virginia read several things where Norfolk used to be a lot bigger. It, has to, it used to have a lot more territory, but they had to sell a lot of their land to developers of what was the same county, because Virginia Beach City was just basically just a couple blocks at the literal ocean. You know, what is now Virginia Beach used to be in the same county. And if it weren't for the, well, people like, we used to run the Cavalier because since they, they renovated the whole Cavalier, they had painting downstairs, which is to me very ominous because it's uh, 
like the original owners of the the, the grounds and the cavaliers basically guess who that is at, at a dinner table and basically you can't say guess who the original owner of the cavalier was you know we don't know yeah well, it's, it's, it's not like i'm not talking about what the person it's just, just a bunch of white guys Oh, oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bunch of land only slave only white guys. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. a bunch of guys at a at a dinner. Yeah. And then okay, copy. My, my I guess my my point to come is like the people who owned the land previously were having to make land exchanges and deals because of you know who had more money in, like in Virginia Beach. Well, at Princess Anne County in Norfolk at the time because Norfolk wanted to build up more industrial and become more of an actual port hub. So they built up like more of their actual ports and like their uh, like the railroads going through Norfolk as like a central main hub for Southampton roads versus Virginia Beach, which became more of a residential and like upper class, like also like farm town. Yeah, well, Niche. I mean, Virginia Beach is like the the definition of like white flight, right? Like it, it was a it was a city that came up that like was create like the city of Virginia Beach as it exists today, like came up after World War II, which is yeah. like the era of white flight. You know, we have a huge population of people who like left the surrounding areas and came to Virginia Beach. You know, people in the military, the military. There's one base in in Virginia Beach. Right, I think Little Creek is the only one in the in Virginia Beach, but like that's where people move. People don't move to Norfolk if they get stationed in Norfolk. People don't move to New like even if they get stationed in Newport News, they'll still live in like Williamsburg. Like people really, you know, know. people. And there's Oceana. As oh, there's Oceana too. Yeah, yeah, there is Oceana. Uh, I just all the shipyards too. So then those are all like Navy ports too. So are there shipyards? I thought the shipyards were in Norfolk and Portsmouth. Oh, okay. I mean, we were talking about like people moving to Norfolk. I mean, like people, a lot of, especially military people, they, they stay in Norfolk and Newport News, especially because of being stationed at like uh, uh, Norfolk Naval and, uh, you know, different Portsmouth shipyards. It's, you know, a lot of people stay in Port, like the bad parts of Portsmouth. You know, the, the, the soldiers can't really afford a whole lot. You know, they got to get the cheap shit. And, different parts of like um there is kind of a segue here because i remember there's a question on the list of like what is your least favorite place in virginia and i couldn't think of it it's base it's any of the bases period they're my least favorite place to be i think specifically i don't mind oceana that much i don't mind little creek norfolk naval base norfolk least favorite place Oh yeah! Oh my God! It's always cold and dreary and wet there when I'm over there. And it's like a nightmare to get to because you have to take like six highways to get there. It's not just like down. You think two sixty four to like six sixty four, something crazy like that. And I didn't know this until I started driving. It's really far. You have to like show your ID to get on base, I guess, because like really the U.S. military or whatever, and it, it's just huge. It's really just like this. It's its own city. I, I just like. And I'm only ever there for like the doctor or for my ID. It's never something fun. So like, if I could say my least favorite place, it is the base, followed to... by Pembroke Mall if it's still open. No, actually, Pembroke is not that low. <laughs> They're really trying to lose us, David. Damn! You know what? I you know what? So long as Pembroke Mall exists, no one can tell me that you can't try hard enough. 
<laughs> like anytime, anytime you think they are down and out for the count, they're like, "Oh, we got rid of the carpet." It's it's a new Pembroke Mall. It's like we have an REI now, and everyone's like, "But why would I go to REI? We live in Virginia. It's flat. <laughs> what would be the point of an REI? <laughs> I'm not hiking. I'm not camping. Thanks. I'm gonna camp in the middle of a cabin." Yeah. So, um, actually, you know what? I don't mind going to Pembroke. It's that being physically in there is depressing. It is one of the most depressing places to be inside of in Virginia is Pembroke Mall. <laughs> if the owner of Pembroke Mall is listening right now, he's going to fight me. <laughs> but, okay, I was going to say, do you remember Waterside, like, before they renovated? No, because I was never, there was no reason to be down there and I never was. I literally, I was not down there before they were even not been down there since. So I've not been to Waterside at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're talking about like, by, by Virginia Wesleyan, right? No. No. Um, by like. Leading into downtown Norfolk. Like, by near where the, Get? Yeah, near Get, like near where the Navy ships are. Like, like where, where the, the no, exits into. Thing. No, that is well. That is by Virginia Wesleyan. That's you're we're, we're talking about the same spot. Yeah, Watersheds right by Virginia Wesleyan. Yeah, it's like like around the corner. Because remember, Virginia Wesleyan's on the border of Norfolk and Virginia. It's like the same area. No, because Virginia. Cause, I mean, Diamond Springs is is on the way. I guess, sorta. Yeah. And also, Norfolk is this big, so like, if it's <laughs> Norfolk is not. It's not well. I guess I can't say that because I'm pretty sure Brooklyn is smaller than Norfolk, so I also can't judge. That's what I was It's small. Norfolk is definitely small. But, um, no, because I had never been down there. There was no reason for, um, there was no reason for me to go down there, like, as a, as a kid. And, like, by the time they had built up Waterside, I was moving. And I was like, oh, I want to go to Waterside. I want to go. Like, every time I was home, I never went. So I've never been. Like that capitalism, like took some steroids, basically. Yeah, and it used to smell like mold. Well, it's almost like Lansdowne Commons, but nicer now, right? I like capitalism. Okay, cool. The future, when Biff was president, and we did just have Biff as president, so it definitely does look like Biff was president now that he's not. (laughs) From Biff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't, I haven't. I don't know if I've seen the other two. Sorry. I think I've definitely seen clips of the second. But I'm, I'm with you. I know Biff because I've seen the first one. Biff was just president. Now that you said that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, and you know what? This actually is like a really. I think like a really because for me, like, like the the gentrification of Virginia. I don't uh, want to say gentrification. I think that's a very like hard term. That's a very I don't want to use that term. I mean, it is kind In a way it is. I mean it is, right? Like you know, we're... being someone who Yeah, and now we have centers, you know. Yeah, it used to be swamp. It used to literally just be like a military town with like a beachfront. I mean yeah. like the first stop of it was really town center, right? Like I mean, if if you don't know Virginia facts the ho- the Westin is the tallest building in Virginia. Surprisingly, yeah, there is. Like, wow, that's it. 
Wait, which one is and it? And I don't know if they... In Virginia? I don't know if they broke... In all of Virginia, it's the tallest building. It is the tallest building in all of Virginia. Well, you have to remember, downtown Richmond is this big, and all the buildings are also this big in downtown Richmond. Yeah. And then, beside that, there's no other really major city areas. So, like, it makes sense, kind of. Um, but they're also going to break ground and build the next tallest building in Virginia in, in, in town center. So, you know, that whole area was, you know, even though we joke it, that whole area was Pembroke Mall and Princess Anne in, like, fields and yeah. is now going to be one of the most densely populated, like, densely populated impact areas in the state. I mean, might be, you know, like, if we're talking about where I used to live, I mean, I don't know if you guys have been by my neighborhood in the past year, but my cool. mom has told me it's not recognizable. I mean, it's, there used to be three just huge fields by my neighborhood. Like, my neighborhood, again, I'm going to describe a lot, even though I know you guys know. My neighborhood. Huh? The bean fields. Yeah, it used to literally just be like strawberry fields in, 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 um, in, um, in, in other soybeans yeah soybeans thank you literally it was just soybean fields it was like three giant soybean fields and we maintain this to this day do you guys remember there used to be a house by the walmart over there yeah i'm pointing like we're like we're in the field looking right now it was in the very middle yeah yes it was that one house that house burned down maybe 10 years ago it might not have even been 10 years ago Uh and i'm not kidding what yeah, it was less than 10 years ago. It was less than 10 years ago. That house burned down, and like two weeks later, they were putting up signs about building there. Like, I'm pretty sure that that guy owned the land, and I I think that they burned his. This is all on record. Watch the FBI calls me, like, hello, hello. So you heard what was that about that house burning down? But then all of us, I mean, I, I, I. I mean, my parents and I used to joke about it, but now that I know more about, like, eminent domain and about the government, I 100%, like, keep this assertion that they had wanted to build on that land for years. Oh, yeah. And because it was, like, a farm-style house, it was not a... It was, like, a farmhouse. He owned that land, and then his house burned down, and then, like, they just started building on it. They may have had the rights to build across the street at Spence Cross near my old Wendy's, but they did not. I don't think. I think that when they burned that house down, I can't say when they burned that house down. <laughs> but when that house burned down, then I think they got the land rights to the rest of that field, and they've been building on it since. Like, yeah. I mean, they're on like phase four now, and they have put so much over there that it's like there's more people who live on those fields that were empty when I when I was a kid than there are people in my neighborhood. And like my mom was talking to me about this, and I don't think that I don't think that she, she I think she sees it as a problem, but I don't think she sees it as as big of a problem as it actually is. My house, I just she just found this out, so I just found this out. My house is a French drain, and for those of you who don't know, French drains are built into your yard so that way the water will drain whenever you have an overflow of rain. The water will drain, and there's a drainage lake in my neighborhood, as we all know, because we smoke weed by that drainage lake many times. Well, um, there is no drainage lake in the new neighborhoods, in any of them. There's also, if I'm probably, since there's no drainage lakes, there's also probably no French drains, which means that 
when it rains and when there's hurricanes in Virginia because they're inevitable. My mom told me the last time it rained, it, flood, it flooded for three days. It used to not flood in my neighborhood. It used to flood for like 10 hours and then it would all go away because we all had French drains and all the water would drain into the drainage lake. But now they just put up all these new houses. There's no drainage lake. So now all the water is back up in my neighborhood. So every time it rains, like, again, like I can't say every time it rains, but like when there's major rain, it's going to back up into that neighborhood. And like anyone who knows geography knows Virginia is sinking. So it's just like a giant, it's like all these problems on top of each other that like, it's it's very sad. Like it's, it's, it's very, very sad. Planning off of that. Um, <laughs> uh, they've been having to do all of the plumbing outside of our outside of our house like they've been having to rip up the roads and they've been having to put up the new pipe and everything i say this because we've been talking about a french drain in the house in our yard we used to have a bunch of trees we got rid of all the trees since then our yard has been getting a lot more money because of because there's no roots there's nothing in the ground there is a drain their backyard that I have been digging up over the past year going on like a year and a half now because it should be raining I don't know where it leads to I'm pretty sure it leads out to like the like whatnot. but it probably it, leads to that creek it yes but I don't know how or at least it should theoretically it should lead to that creek and I'm pretty yeah. sure our house is sick our entire neighborhood got rid of their trees. And ever since then, all of the lawn, all of the last eaten like fire chimney, I'm pretty sure all of our houses are sloping into the water. They probably, I mean, the whole city is sloping into the water. The bog. Right. Like, if we're going to be, like, I mean, one of the most stark things that I had noticed about Virginia was the last time there was a big city council election, everyone ran on one of the same platforms and that was flooding like the flooding of, of virginia is, is is a bipartisan issue in the state now um because not only we have a huge population we have one of the largest naval the largest u.s naval base in the world and the population of 1.7 million people who all live on the coast um and it's it's, I will be honest, it's something that keeps me up at night of, like, it almost feels inevitable that, like, it won't be there in 20 years. In 30 years, there won't be no virginity. Like, it feels like a very, like, <laughs> inevitable, not to make this whole podcast dark and about global warming and, and the apocalypse. Um, we started on the wars, and now we're on the apocalypse. It just feels like a, like, like, a thing that is going to happen. And, like, my parents... And I feel like an older generation of people who are in Virginia do not see it as an issue as much as we see it as an issue of like, no guys in like 20 years, there could be no more Virginia Beach. Or if there is, it's half the size of it was because it's literally underwater. Um, yeah. And Norfolk too. Um, so yeah, Norfolk too. You said earlier, you don't consider yourself a Virginian, but you are a registered voter in Virginia, it sounds like. Um, I, I can't, I do consider myself a Virginian because I don't like to say I'm a New Yorker. So I will clarify that. I don't feel I have the, first of all, 
Well, if you say you're a New Yorker and you and you have not lived here for at least ten years, you will get a bacon egg and cheese thrown at you. Like you're not a New Yorker. I had someone who had been here for like eight months. Who's like, oh, I'm just, I just feel like a New Yorker. And she's not white. I will clarify, she's not a white woman, so we're not coming for her for that. Um, and she's like, I just feel like a New Yorker. Like I've been here. Like it's just my home. And I was like, that's great. You're not a New Yorker, and don't repeat that in public because they will jump you. Um, and I won't protect you. <laughs> I just I was totally kidding but um, no in all in all actuality you know I'm still a registered voter in Virginia um, that will probably change this election or by the 2022 well because our mayor election is this year yeah are you asking me about the, about, about the Virginia election too yeah I, I was posting about that but I'm also kind of interested in what's going on in New York too so yeah, our mayor election is coming up, and this is Bloomberg's last term. Not Bloomberg. Um, no, Bloomberg. Cuomo? No, no, not Cuomo, not Cuomo, not Bloom. Wow, not me forgetting my own mayor. Um, I'm looking at his face right now. Wow. You need to cut this off the podcast, because I'm canceled, canceled. I'm, like, literally canceled. Yeah. We can just de Blasio. De Blasio's our mayor. Duh, duh, duh. It's because... Oh, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you say de Blasio. Well, it's because we had two mayors running for president at the same time, and neither of them should have been fucking running for president. Ah. So, um, I guess we have... I guess we'll talk about Cuomo, too, because, like, it's in the news and it's going to come up. But this is de Blasio's last term, um, and everyone is very excited about it, as you can tell. We are all very much ready to get rid of that man. Um, and it's a very it's a very packed race. I mean, the New York the New York mayor race looks like, for those of you who don't know, it's it's as many candidates as the 2020 not the slight died on me. It's as many candidates as the 2020 presidential campaign. Um, I think there's like 20 candidates running for mayor um, this year. Um, Diane Morales is the is the candidate I am throwing my vote for right now. Um, though my endorsement doesn't matter, that's who I endorse is Diane Morales. Um, from the knowledge I have and the information I have, she is a candidate that um, is having the most conversations about homelessness in New York, about um, changing transit in New York, about what defunding the police actively looks like in New York. Um, you know, she is talking about issues that that matter a lot to New Yorkers um, more so than I think a lot. I mean, a lot of people, it feels like, it feels like half the candidates, especially the white male candidates, are just the NYPD's solution. Like, very much people who are not for, who are not with the shits, who, you know, saw the protest this year and said, well, you know, those are Antifa and we don't believe in Antifa in this country. Like, like that's the other half of this ticket. Um, you know, Andrew Yang is on the ticket. Fuck Andrew Yang. He should not be running for New York mayor. No billionaire should be running for mayor of any city. No billionaire should be running for anything. Um, I don't give a fuck how you made your billions. Um, and it also is very much like a, it just feels like he's checking for the next popular contest. And it just happened to be New York mayor. So um, definitely don't want him to be mayor. And I don't think he has a chance in how in making it, to be honest. Um, but you know, that's the city you know in terms of Cuomo I won't talk about the things that he's done because you know I believe all victims um but I will say 
personally, I, I don't like him. I did not like him. He is um, a strong-armed moderate. He is a um, he is a do it my way centrist, which means nothing. Which means he literally will do nothing. Um, I had been I had been saying since COVID started how fucked it was that people were going back into nursing homes, um, and I also felt that he was getting a lot of praise. And New York still has the highest death rate, and not currently we don't have the highest, but we have the most deaths from COVID in any state. Um, in big part because of their um, policy in terms of um in terms of nursing homes it's not all to do with that we were first hit we had the hardest wave and we were hit early so you know that doesn't help um but he got a lot of praise and i i just don't understand why i i just you know i get that donald trump was president at the time and it was crazy to see someone govern um but you know, we don't praise people for government. We don't praise people for doing their jobs. Um, we actually demand that they do a better job. Um, so that's how I feel about Cuomo. Um, no one should be up for a fourth term. And even if none of this happened, I would still be advocating strongly against him getting a fourth term. Um, but I know Virginia has a big election. I people people are like, oh, now we're on elections. Yes, now we're on elections. Um, we should be. I mean, they're coming up. I think our primaries will have already happened by the time this episode comes out. I hope so. I think we should all be through the primaries by the time this episode comes out. Well, who are... I, I kind of know the candidates a little bit. Who is... Who are, like, the big candidates that you all are rooting for? Because I know you guys are much more, like, in it. Ball? I honestly can't answer you right now. I haven't done my full research at this point yet. But we can always take that. <laughs> there's, I know there's two women of, I, I can't, I, I hate that I'm saying there's two women of color running. And I know they're both progressive, and I forgot their names. Um, they are the ones who definitely have my, my, like, support. You know, first of all, I love seeing POC in, in but the last time I, I was looking into Virginia-specific politics people were putting in that they were running but they weren't they didn't have their platform so i can't speak specifically about candidates because i don't know their platforms and i don't like to speak about candidates on identity i like to speak about candidates on their platform and um, i don't know platforms of virginia candidates so i can't speak on it but i think that this is gonna be a very formative election for virginia i mean you know when we were kids we were a republican state we were a very republican stronghold and now this beautiful thing is happening where Virginia is slowly becoming, you know, is leading the way in a lot of very progressive things. That's not to say, you know, it's perfect. There's some things that, you know, the minimum wage is garbage, you know, there's transit, I think, was still terrible. Um, but, you know, we have, from my knowledge, we have some of the most progressive um, abortion rights bills in the country. Um, we have the first, and again, I don't like to use identity as, as you know, we've done it. But you know we have the first openly trans legislator in the in the in the country um, currently in the house. Um, forgot her name. It's me. It's me knowing these people, forgetting their names for me. I can't wait to get called out for that. Can't wait for everyone to be like, "All you care about is the identity. You don't even know these people." And I'd be like, "You're right." <laughs> I mean, you've been in a COVID haze. It's okay. I've been in the COVID haze. I also don't live there anymore, You're so. What? What year is it? I don't even know. Literally, what? I couldn't tell you. It's still 2019 to me. 
I'm still making up for 2019. Don't talk to me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... I feel like at the end of the day, I hate to be that person who's like, Virginia is what made me. It's who I am. But like, it is, right? Like, it's where I began a, a lot of journeys, right? It's where I in a lot of ways began my journeys as, as a progressive. It's where I started discovering my blackness. It's where I discovered my queerness, even if I didn't come out until I was 19 <laughs> and securely in New York. Um, you know, it has given so much to me and I have so much love and appreciation for it. And I like, you know, I want a lot for my career and I want to give back. And to me, it feels wrong that when I'm in a position to get back, that I get back to New York. Because even though New York has given me a lot and will continue to give a lot, um, it is not what made me. It like, like you know, I have a big passion about getting more black kids and more black creators into you know dance and into the film industry specifically. Those are like two big things for me because there's not a lot of black representation in dance and there's not a lot of black DPs out there. Um, and, you know, even though it would be great for me to do that in Crown Heights, where I live now, or for me to, you know, do that in Brownsville and, you know, in Brooklyn, like, it needs to happen in Virginia, too. Like, it needs it, it needs to happen everywhere, but it needs to happen in my hometown. There's, there's, there's plenty of kids who look like me, who want to do what I'm doing, who literally don't have the tools to do it. And I just find so often that when we leave our homes and like when we leave Virginia, we're ready to just, cool, that was fun, bye. And we don't give back to it in a really substantive way. And I don't want to do that. And I hope these words don't come back and haunt me 10 years from now. <laughs> Somebody's listening to this 10 years from now like, oh, you got money, but you still ain't help Virginia, huh? You just like all these other bitches. You just like Timbaland, huh? No. can only hope we'll hold each other Not... the way this will age like milk <laughs> yeah. Cuomo will still be in office and there will be a Republican as Virginia governor what oh god but as, as everything does it seems like it starts out you know with some with some cereal dust in it and then it ends up a moldy nightmare ah yes life is a constant revolution to fight for what's right and just finding out what is right. You know, I, so it will spoil, but I mean, that's kind of what you know, the whole cycle is. You know, that's why I said before, we got to find out what our values are by talking about like, and how we're slowly seeing a transformation out of the 18th century. Basically. Yeah. And, yeah, and like... And this, really finding our consciousness. Yeah, I think that like every generation has felt like they were going to be the generation to change things. Um, and I really think that between millennials and Gen Zs, um, we really have the opportunity to change things, number one, because things need to be changed. Um, and because we know what needs to be changed. We're having, you know, for so long, if you look at the conversations on race and you know on the climate it was always like a quick fix thing for so long right like 
climate change was recycling and like racial change was like listening to each other and like we've had we as this new generation are like well that's just not enough because number one you don't listen right you don't listen to people of color you don't listen to black people you don't listen to women um and number two listening is not the substantive change we're looking for we're looking to physically change these structures like we've, we've heard enough and what are you gonna do we've heard enough yeah we've heard enough and we we understand what these structures are um you know and in in some ways it's just about eloquently you know you know I hate to be that guy. I don't think that the defund the police movement has failed whatsoever. But I think a big reason it faces so much backlash is because we have not eloquently explained like what defunding the police looks like. And that's not to say that it's on black activists. Um, I personally think explanation. If you find yourself as an ally, what you need to do is like listen to black people and like take what they say word for word and say this is what the black people not the black people, but this is what I was told from black activists what defunding the police is, what it actively looks like. This is why I was told from Black activists, like, why we need voter rights reform and, like, why the movement for what's it called, the great steal of the election was really just about Black people voting. <laughs> like, like, I think that we, we understand. It's now, it's now, it's now figure out a way of, like, okay, we know what's wrong. Like, let's take the steps to fix it. Let's create substantive change. That's not just a band-aid. Because we can't deal with any more band-aids. We literally can't take another band-aid for another, you know, 50 years. Yeah, because actually, that kind of reminds me, I, I was just in Richmond and talking to um, Alton and uh, Lully about the elections happening in Richmond. And <laughs> Alton came up with the clip who's basically saying, oh, I like this candidate because they're talking about homelessness and, you know, saying that they're actually for, you know, rights for everybody. And I was basically like, all right, I'll believe it when I see it. And they're basically, yeah. yeah. But like, you can say you're this for this and that and but we'll believe it when we see it. Yeah. yeah, and that's why, like, if we were talking earlier about when, when I was talking about candidates and, like, knowing their platforms, that's why I don't stand behind a candidate whose platform I don't, I don't believe in. Or who's can or a candidate where I feel like, their platform is so big, like it's not real like i don't know i think a lot of people are upset with joe biden right now they're like what happened to a 15 dollars minimum wage i was like y'all were never getting a 15 dollars minimum wage for this man um y'all being me <laughs> bitches not ever getting a 15 dollars minimum wage me i'm bitches right like we were never gonna get <laughs> stop the medicare for all president stop stop posting on twitter that they need to pass medicare for all it's not fucking happening in a 50 50 senate with joe biden as president like you are wasting you're wasting your 140 characters like um but but i'm also big on saying like what can we demand from from these people who are in charge because that's not to say we cannot get anything right and that's not to say settle at the small things because we should be demanding more like like, you know, they just canceled a billion dollars of student loans from people who went to fraud universities, which felt more like an at at Donald Trump more than an actual, like, win for progressives. But there is a level of, like, okay, there are people who um, can or feel a little bit more secure at night, right? Like, if we're talking, and again, this is not me trying to, this is not Joe Biden propaganda. I don't want the centrist thinking I'm on their side, and I don't want the progressives in my inbox after this. Um... But you know, I have I have my feelings on things that I think are are marginal things that this administration would do. Um, 
that I think could happen in New York. You know, if Diane, you know, if Diane Morales is, is is our mayor, even if she's the most progressive, I don't think that she's going to give us free transit. Right? That's been a big issue in New York. Is like transit should be free, the MTA should be free. It's a public service. We'll never see a free transit from from the current swath of progressives. That's not to say it's okay, but that's just to say like demand what we can demand and um, fight for what we can fight for. And then when plan, plan to fight for more. Right. You know, we want a third party movement in this country so bad. And then every time an election comes around, we're like, oh shit, shit, um, go vote for the Green Party. And it's like, bro, that's not how we start a third party movement. If you want a third party movement for a 2024 election, we should be, we should have started um, pushing those parties in 2016. Right, we should be looking at you know what the, what we want from a third party, um, and instead we just tend to you know a hundred days before the thing is when we start talking about the thing. And um, I, you mentioned before who are, who are we behind? They don't seem to talk about it here as much. Yeah, the way it seems you hear to about be the super taboo. Is through uh, what? Wait, one more time. The can- hearing about the candidates talking about any of it here is so taboo that you never really know who's running until you start seeing something. Until the yeah, until the election, and I and, and I think we our parents are very much used to kissing babies politics. Like a politician comes to a town, they kiss some babies. They run a smear campaign against their opponent, and that's it. That's literally all they had to do. And like, we're um, a friend of mine. She quoted this article, and I can't remember who said it and where it was from. So like, I can't give you the exact quote, but it was along the lines of being a, being a politician is harder because this generation listens to politics and understands politics and listens to what we're saying and demands that from us. Whereas like, thirty years ago. Your politicians would run on all these things and do none of them. And you'd be like, well, they're politicians. That's what they do. And now we're like, no, fuck that. No, literally, fuck that and fuck you. You need to get the fuck out of office. We need to put someone else in your spot because you, for some reason, think that we were kidding when we said that these are the things that we want. And I really think that this is a an issue for liberals and for the Democratic Party and not for Republicans because they have been with that with that with that adage for so long like if a if a republican you know i just been listening to a podcast about this and this might know this example you know when cuomo got into office he was really pushing for gay rights we had a republican state legislator and he said cuomo was like i'm going to protect you all and make sure you guys don't lose your seats of course they did of course they lost their seats because republicans are issue voters and if they say our issue is anti-lgbt rights anti-trans rights anti but they mean it and they will get you out of office if you fuck with them but for some reason on the other side it's like oh well you know you didn't get the minimum wage it's fine we'll try next time and it's like no Bro, stop electing people who you know don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> stop saying you wanted, stop saying you want, like, stop wanting things from Bernie and then electing Biden. I don't get it. I don't get it. We were lucky that the centrist won this time because last time you put a centrist up, they lost. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and even even if Joe Biden won, right? This is the biggest Republican gain in the House 
since I think 2000, since 2010, since since Obama's midterm, this has been the biggest gain of Republicans. In 2016, 2018, were the biggest losses in Republicans. So you mean to tell me that you guys had the chance to do something? You guys were put in the American people's face to do something, and you did it, and you lost your seats, and somehow that's the progressives' fault. <laughs> Somehow that is on us that you lost your seat in a in a majority where progressives were not running in a district that you didn't lose to you lost to a far right conservative. So can't help you. That's but it. You, Bye you, everyone. I'm out. Thanks. Especially in, in the left and like the democratic side, we have to have more accountability to our you know electorate and the people that we put into office because that's kind of the thing. It's like oh, you thought we were joking. People see us as like kind of like pushovers, I guess, and like the media and stuff like that. Like, then Republicans don't really have the problem because, you know, they, they are otherwise militants. You know, they, they, they yeah. like to take the young and uh, hippie, hippie life for, for granted. You know, we got to show them yeah. we business. You know, what, you know, we care about the things that we're trying to say that we at least care for. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of people have been have said, you know, like there is no difference between the Republican and the Democratic Party, and I don't believe that. I, you know, I know we they are on the same side. If we're talking about the political compass, they are on the same side of the political compass. We do live in a in a center right nation. We do not live in a progressive. We do not live in a center left or a centrist. We live in a center right nation. Right. And the Democrats who should really be the Republican Party, um, they 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 love a goodwill. They love a um, you know, I'm with her moment. Yeah, it's a very much a girl boss pat on the back. You know, like, like, oh, a woman, a woman VP, like we did it. Um, but like, the Republicans are literal Nazis, right? Like, I can't, you know, like, sorry, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like progressives can only do so much with the system that we have because a lot of it just needs to be reworked entirely. You know, we yeah, I mean, like, create a new platform, but I don't even really know for what. Yeah, I mean, every election is the centrist versus the Nazis, and I just feel like that. There's nothing How to do you fight get for. Here? There's nothing to fight for, and I, you know, we we have we have come up in this era where like a lot of bipartisan issues have now become partisan issues. So like how we reform immigration is a partisan issue. Education is now a partisan. Issue. Those were not partisan issues, you know, 15 years ago. So now it's even becoming harder to say that they are the same party. And again, this is not. I, I keep repeating this so that way someone doesn't chime in and start saying, you know, this is pro-Biden propaganda. It is just now we have seen that that they don't their issues are taking away things or like like preserving things by making sure other people don't have them. Okay. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, like like the whole preserving the union. What does that look like? Preserving the union means um gay people cannot get married. It means trans people are not visible, and it means that brown people don't have the right to vote. Like that, that's what the union was in, in 1955. That's exactly what it was. So that's what preserving the union means. Um, and I wish 
that the Democrats could really see that the alternative is so bad if they just tried they would win every election they would yeah. right like if you said so so ready to play the game but against people that you can't play their game because you're just going to end up with you exactly you can't play their because their game is their game is fascism like that's literally the game that they're playing it's like how close can we get to fascism without calling it fascism um yeah. without directly like which they did oh yeah yeah i mean and you know what i said this and um i swear to god this is the moment the fbi comes to my door you know apparently we're not fighting hard enough they were ready to storm the capitol over an election that they were lied to that was stolen they literally stormed the capitol over a lie I feel like that's actually how it happens. Like you wouldn't have had such a, like that level of hysteria if it weren't for a fostering of lies. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, right. Like that level of hysteria comes from 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 um, propaganda. Like it, it was a propaganda campaign that got them there. But they were so emotionally fervent and so full of anger. Now that's not to say that like that Black Lives Matter and that Black people, if we were to storm the Capitol, we would make it that far. No, and that's not me saying that I think that. Black people, Black Lives Matter, Antifa should absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But their willingness to do so, and again, you know, there were people on the streets, there were people protesting this year, but their, but their willingness to do so as a whole, that's not exist on the other side of the aisle. No. Now, would I ever do that for Joseph, for Joseph Robinette Biden? Absolutely not. No. Um. But, but would white allies do that? for Black Lives Matter and to stop Asian hate? No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Um, and that is what I'm trying to get at, is that the people who could be protected physically, who would not physically lose their lives by storming the Capitol, would do it on the Democratic side. Right. Even if they know that the conversations we're having are about life or death, because they are. The conversations that we have as the Democratic Party are no longer about comfort. They are literally about life. And I shouldn't say Democratic Party as progressives are no longer about comfort. They're about life and death. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just something I've been saying with for a while. It's like, we don't have that fervor on the side of the aisle. Yeah. That's not everyone. You know, there's there's plenty of, um, there's plenty of activists like, like where are the, all the angry young people I mean or angry but like kind of disillusioned completely disillusioned yeah what did you say one more time I distracted yeah yeah and I guess like that is also something else right is like that we you know, a lot of people have their feeling about why the gig economy started, but we, because we're all gig workers for the most part, it's so hard to like, especially before COVID, it's really hard to be politically active and engaged and also be a full-time gig worker and to have six jobs. It's like impossible. It's like, how do we be active in, in the political landscape if we work 60 hours a week? Right. We, we in, in a way, we were made it so that we couldn't be part of the solutions because we're too busy having to make the world go right. Yeah. So, so all I mean, even ex- pertinent decisions are, are made by other people that aren't going to have to 
deal with the actual outcomes. Who don't have to live with the outcomes and who haven't lived in the world at a at a base level enough to like have a true conversation about those things, right? Like, like I could go on and on. This is becoming the politics podcast. Um, <laughs> but you know, like you have Ron DeSantis talking about, you know, when he was a kid, minimum wage was six dollars. Well, adjust for inflation, that's twenty-four dollars an hour. That is you know, way more than seven twenty-five. You know, the people who are telling us that, you know, you deserve the college loans because you got them also weren't 18-year-olds in 2012 and 2015 who were told that the only way for you to get a job was with a college education. And that if you didn't have a college education, you weren't going to survive. And that it's fine if you have all this debt because you'll pay it off. You'll get a job and you'll pay it off. Right? And then, you know, for those of us who left school who have been out of school for less than a year during a pandemic who are still leaving school or who have been out of school for a while who couldn't find jobs before and definitely can't find jobs now you know you can't look at us in the eye and say well you should be able to pay off the debt you got it like i got it because i was told it would i would find a job you told me this and if you can't hold up the job of of if you can't hold up the end of bargain of making sure we're employed, why do we need to hold up the end where we all pay off the student loans? Especially if we know that the money exists in this country for someone else to pay it, right? Like, dang, like, if Daddy Basil's got that much money and I gotta pay my loans? If I took it out of his account right now, he wouldn't know this. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, I bought groceries, that's where that $30,000 went. Like, that man would, does not know how much groceries or student loans cost. Anyways, <laughs> before this podcast becomes three different things. Well, it probably will become three different things, honestly. Like, we have enough that we can kind of sprinkle some of this through some of the other episodes. And if there are any projects that you want to work on, I would be happy to kind of like leave them into the episode. I'm trying to... I definitely will promote things when I get them, but I'm definitely trying to, this year, really keep my projects very low-key until they're, like, on a camera. Um, Because I'm definitely one of those people who, like, I will talk about a project, and because I've spoken about it, it's not happening. Um, I mean, if there's anything you're you're writing that you feel like you just want to share that's not necessarily connected to anything larger... I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things I want to be right. Oddly enough, religion is a topic I'm very much interested in working on right now. Um, especially get back into my own personal hell if you're interested. Ah, yes, your own personal hell. What's your own personal hell? Oh, that's that's the big project that was originally called Open Mics. Um with uh, the daughter of the devil and the devil is you know, the son of God and their whole dichotomy and the fact that they're both kind of brown. You know what? I, let me send you some, because you know what's so funny? I wrote something very similar to this during quarantine at the beginning of last year and I think it was like a mini series and it's got like, it's like five minute episodes and I may have written like three or four episodes. And it's literally about, not literally, it's about Jesus coming to Earth 
after, like in present day. Like he's been kicked out of heaven and, and God has been like, go be a human. Um, and now that I'm talking about, it might actually be really fun to shoot that right now, but um, it's really about Jesus coming to earth and being a human and like the devil and God being his parents. Oh my um, god, even if you just do, like, the audio, that could be fun. If I just read it out and I just do it myself? Yeah, I've been getting more into that, like, it's just a fun way to keep yourself active when you've got nothing else going on, but now you're at the end of that. Of, of, of not doing anything? Yeah, now it's like, I, it's okay, they didn't hear you, because I have my headphones in. Um, yeah, I mean, now it's... Now it's weird because, like, I didn't get to take it. Like, I was saying, I didn't really get to take a break from the time because, like, I was supposed to be aiming a short film in person. But because I wasn't in person, I've been, like, sending out call sheets and shot lists, like, from my computer and just, like, checking it on set. So now it's, like, I get two days to breathe before my quarantine ends. Not to say I'm, like, working the day my quarantine ends, but, like, it'll be nice to, like, breathe for a little bit before I, like, step back into reality. But yeah, this has been great. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks. Not to segue out, but <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. This is fun. Bye, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to go sit in another part of my house for um, three days because I can't do anything. Exactly. Yeah. Well, honestly, no, I have class in the morning and then I have to say go to work for my entire life. 11 hour days, two days a week. Woohoo! Woo, where are you right now? Um, I'm at slash therapy school. Oh yeah, we did talk about this. You're managing the school, right? I am managing the desk and schedule and student stuff. I'm getting there with the student stuff. That's kind of new to me still. It's so very exciting. It is. And it's a decent environment. Yeah. I like it most of the time. I am learning how to make a business happen, and it's been inspiring. Honestly, most days I do love it. It just can be kind of stressful sometimes. Yeah, that's, yeah. I was going to say that's how I feel in the industry. I was going to say what's so funny is you, you're like, I'm just, you know, plugging in data and things like that. And I'm like, what do you think production is? (laughs) It's just, instead of it being massage students, it's just, um, it's just, it's just Alexa minis and, um, and, you know, you know, aperture lights, aperture to what 120Ds. After that, it's literally the exact same thing. It's just plug in numbers and, and spreadsheets. Oh my gosh. Um, one last thing. I do like to do this game with my interviewees or my segmentees or whatever we want to call it. How do you recognize? And I don't want this to sound stereotypical, but I just think it's fun because everyone notices things about locals, service members, transplants from different areas that end up in Virginia. So like, what? what How do I recognize a Virginian? Yeah. A Virginia, someone from Virginia Beach or someone from Virginia? Because I will assert that they're different. They're always very different. You can tell us the ways that they're different, however you want. Oh my god, I could do this all day, though. I could literally do this all day because it's so different. First of all, I know you're a local if you longboard or surf. Because everyone in Virginia Beach can longboard or surf but me and maybe the other two people on this call. Because, like, every 
everybody can longboard. Like, um, if, you've, if you've ever owned a pair of Vans that matches your coat, that matches your shirt, you're from Virginia Beach. Very big. And you know, it's crazy. I think just like Vans in general is a very Virginia thing because like you don't see Vans as much as you believe. It's such a such a Virginia thing. Um, Shorts in the winter, obviously, that will never die for some reason. Even as it gets colder, shorts in the winter. Shorts in winter, ew, gosh, with them red ass knees, ugh. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say more controversial things. People are gonna think I'm being mean. It's just the truth. Um, 19-year-old girls were married to servicemen. That's that's a Virginia special. Um, it, it truly is the amount of the amount of children we know who got married the moment we left college, the moment we left high school. Was, I think more people, to be honest, more people got married when we left high school than I think when I left college so far. And it might be because of the pandemic, because like people have held off their weddings. But more people got married in the, in the two years I left high school than the two years I left college so far. A hundred percent. Um. I was gonna say a Virginia Beach hoodie, but that's a local thing. Like, you know how, like, you don't find someone, you don't, you will never find a New Yorker who, who wears an I Love New York shirt. Right. But you will find so many Virginians who have that, like, Virginia Beach shirt that's, like, neon pink or neon green, and it's, like, yeah. spattered in paint. Everyone knows exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. You buy at the ocean front. Again, that's another thing that like everyone in Virginia owns but me. What? Are those lifeguard sweatshirts? Like, yes, the lifeguard sweatshirt. Everybody had a lifeguard sweatshirt. It is a very Virginia thing. Um, Transplants though, number one, I think that's a loaded statement because most people who are not born in Virginia Beach are transplants. Most people who are not kids in Virginia Beach are usually transplants um, because people who are from Virginia Beach leave. <laughs> um, ones that seem to still be surprised about all of the things that are you can't change it it's always gonna smell like exhaust fumes we're always gonna get stuck in traffic and honestly it's gonna be it's gonna be humid whether it's hot or cold yeah i think if you complain about the weather you're not from virginia like you will just like if you complain about the humidity you're new here because I've, I won't say I've gotten into it with people, but people will be in New York and be like, it's so hot. And like, New York gets muggy. But like, it doesn't get 100, it doesn't get 103 degrees in muggy. It doesn't. It gets at least 95 every summer in Virginia. And not just for a week. It's 95 all July long. And it's 100 degree humidity. Um, like, and if you're complaining about humidity, you obviously have not spent more than two days here. <laughs> you couldn't you literally couldn't have we know it's humid we're all feeling it like you don't have to tell me how humid it is oh man my teacher's in Colorado when I told him about the humidity I was like have you spent any time here and he was like not really I was like well you're gonna love summer <laughs> like like again I know most of your listeners are from Virginia so they will they will they will empathize more than more than like listen and be like so surprised but like choking on the air is a thing in Virginia because it is so thick. The air is literally so thick you can feel it and you will choke on it because it's thick and hot. Like it is not 
and like New York heat is different because like not only is it hot here it's the garbage is really the bad part because it gets so hot the garbage starts heating up and you start smelling yeah. the garbage but in Virginia you can't smell anything because it's just so hot and mucky you just like it definitely sees something dead birds and birds and, yes. and, and, and fish trees and, and sea salt I was oh yeah also more local things if you're a local and you're going to the beach and not just hanging out you don't go to oceanfront usually if you're chilling at oceanfront I can tell you're not you're a tourist like you're not from here especially if it's after Memorial Day like you're not from here if you have gone to the oceanfront to enjoy the water you're not from Virginia you're a tourist um because we all know what the beaches are. I will not list the beaches because I will not be the one to give away the spots. I will not have everyone like, you're the reason all the tourists are at the beach this summer. Um, that won't be me, but um, yeah. Well. And people I who use their turn signals when they merge, those are also not from Virginia. Just generally aggressive driving. Yeah. It's just general aggressive well, That's what I'm saying. If you use your turn signal when you do merge, you're not from Virginia. That's a transplant. It's a transplant. Because in Virginia, it's three lanes. I just took out three lanes of traffic. Yep. <laughs> I don't care. Yep. Oh, yeah. It, we might be on 264. It might be rush hour. I'm still going to merge across three lanes of traffic. I will cut people off when I do uh, Yep, girl. And you'll get over it. <laughs> and you will get over it. Oh, yeah, this has been great. Thank you all so much for having me. Thanks for having me. We love of you. course. I love you both too. What? I'm so proud of you. I haven't I've literally not done anything in the house for two weeks. That, that's just you need that that time to recharge. It's about to happen. I can feel it. Yeah, I I'm very you know, I'm very blessed for, like, like truly, I'm very blessed for, like, what has happened in my life in the past couple of years and, like, where I am and, like, like the fact that, I'm, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but, like, I was not full-time in the industry before COVID. I was working, you know, 50 hours a week. I was maybe doing, like, two gigs a week in the industry, um, maybe two gigs a month. And I was still a food service worker and, you know, COVID took out my food service. I haven't been back um, as a cater waiter or a barista in over a year because they're both gone. Um, one company, the catering company, wants us, to, wants us to start having events soon. The other company is gone. And, um, you know, I kind of just said, let's go ahead first into the film industry. And, like, this is not where I thought I would see myself at 23. I really thought I had years before I was going to say I worked full time in film. Um, we know what's happening and I'm very happy and I'm very excited and it's it's all very new um, but in all seriousness though you know anyone listening if you are interested in the film industry if you're interested in moving to New York um, don't be afraid to message me um, I'm on Facebook my name's Aaron Cooper um, I'm on Instagram at there's no Aaron space that's there's no double A-R-O-N space um, it's a joke and the truth <laughs> or it's a pun and a fact um, but truly I just think that it's so hard to get into the industry it's so hard to um, 
to make those first steps. And if people are curious, I, I want to help them make it happen. Because um, unfortunately, I've had a lot of people who have helped me get this far in my career. I can't say that on my own, but it has been a lot of my own. Like it, it truly has been a lot of just like figuring shit out as I go along. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for as many people as I can help not have to find as much time figuring shit out, I will. Um, it's not to say I'm like, yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you so much for keeping us inspired on how to thrive in the arts of and course and thank you both for being incredible i love you both i'm very proud of you both you're using your time wisely i really i feel inspired and i feel like we're all exactly where we're supposed to be right now it's coming yeah out. yeah i i'm you know, when it happens for everyone, it happens. And what it is, for me, changes every day. And I think for everyone, changes very often. Um, you know, the, you know, I knew the kids that we were at 15, at 16, and I'm just really proud of all of us and where we are today. Um, it's not fucking easy. It's not easy in late stage capitalism. It's not easy during a pandemic. It's not easy being brown. It's not easy being queer. It's hard. And, you know, we're doing it. Love you both. We love you too. Stay safe. Best of luck with you the too. vaccine. We hope to see you soon. As soon as I get that vaccine in my arm, two weeks and I'll be there. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. you both very much. Have a great night. You too. Good night. After listening to Aaron's podcast, Femme, Ethnic, and Angry, I had a conversation with my mom about Long Island. And she told me that the bridges were built lower so that buses could not get into Long Beach to avoid having, you know, a blend of people from different communities coming into the beach. So whether you want to admit it or not, environmental injustice issues have always been a thing. They are the framework of our cities, towns, and principalities. Basically, our communities were built on environmental injustice issues. It doesn't just affect our plants and our animals, which is absolutely unfortunate, but it also affects people. So I'm really hoping that we can move forward with more thoughtful and inclusive city planning and highway planning, you know, infrastructure.